Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to This Week Again, and I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with some lessons in lying, move on to the many adventures of the orange-tinted fraud father, and then follow everything up with an America's dumbest criminal-style plot twist. Let's begin, shall we? According to ancient GOP lore, the Republican brand is about honesty and integrity. This is a party where the hardworking men and women of America can be assured political candidates that they can vote for because they share their Budweiser-inspired meat-and-potatoes way of life. But like every myth that evolves over time, today's Republican option reflects the Republican base. Case in point, Long Island's newly elected Republican House Representative George Santos. Roll tape. New York's newly elected Republican Congressman George Santos is facing serious questions over what he told voters about his life story. He's young, Latino, gay, and a winner for the Republican Party. Congressman-elect George Santos's victory in a New York district covering parts of Queens and Long Island helped the GOP take a narrow majority in the House this fall. College, NYU, Goldman Sachs, and Citigroup all tell NBC News they have no record of Santos, despite being listed on his campaign biography. Among the other questions here that were raised in that New York Times article, there seems to be little to no evidence about the animal rescue group that Santos uh, listed on his resume, Friends of Pets United, and also, according to the New York Times. He has long touted his family's real estate holdings, and there seems to be very little evidence of that. Now, he voted in Whitestone, Queens, and a certificate of election was delivered to the address where Congressman elect George Santos says he lived. He moved up into the August. Now, the question on the minds of many where was he living at the time of the election? Where is he now? Um, that is a really good question. Since the news broke out that George Santos is the Guinness Book of World Records winner for the most lies told on a resume in the category of douchebags running for political office, he has been playing hide-and-seek with his constituents and the press, and even his new fellow House Republicans. Not that I blame Georgie Boy, because while fabricating a resume to get elected is bad all in itself— what Santos said about his grandparents is a whole new level of cringe. Here's a clip from a recent episode of Storytime with George Santos. I'm very proud of my, my grandparents' story. My grandfather fleeing uh, Ukraine, fleeing Stalin's persecution, going to, to Belgium, finding refuge there, marrying my grandmother, then fleeing Hitler, going to, to, to Brazil. That's a story of... of, of Perseverance. And to be fair, in the context of World War II fan fiction, Georgie Boy is not wrong. However, the rest of us live in the real world, and in this reality, Santos' actual grandparents were fortunate enough not to have lived through the harrowing ordeal of their fictionalized counterparts. I know this because the authorities on records of those who were killed by Nazis in Germany is the Holocaust Museum and the International Center on Nazi Persecution. And they both say that they have never heard of Santos' grandparents. So 
While Santos is totally not hiding in a basement in Queens, New York, and definitely not frantically deleting his profiles from dating apps that aren't Grindr, can we please take a moment to bask in the observational wisdom of the leader of the House Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries, as he explains the Barnum and Bailey spectacle that is the current Republican Party. Look at what's happening right now. House Republicans are attacking Senate Republicans. Senate Republicans are calling House Republicans silly and immature. The leadership situation is in chaos. Marjorie Taylor Greene is fighting with Lauren Boebert, and George Santos appears to be starring in the sequel to Catch Me If You Can. And it's not even January 3rd. The circus has already come to town. Chaos, crisis, confusion, and craziness versus Democrats who deliver for the American people. Oh, I almost forgot. The girls are fighting. Minivan clan mom from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor, no more green, and 2020's Miss GED from Colorado, Lauren Boebert, seem to be on the outs, and I am here for it. Roll tape. Someone who we all respect, Marjorie Taylor Greene, says Kevin McCarthy is going to be a great speaker. Uh, well, you know, I, I've been um, aligned with Marjorie and accused of believing a lot of the things that she believes in. I don't believe in this, just like um, I don't believe in Russian space so, lasers. Are, are, are you a hard no? Space lasers <laughs> okay. and all of this. Didn't go unnoticed by Greene, who saw this clip and then took to Twitter to write, I've supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. President Trump has supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. Kevin McCarthy has supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. She gladly takes our money, but when she's been asked, Lauren Boebert refuses to endorse President Trump. She refuses to support Kevin McCarthy, and she childishly threw me under the bus for a cheap soundbite. From there, Boebert responded back to Greene in an interview with The Daily Caller, saying, quote, I've been asked to explain Marjorie Taylor Greene's belief in Jewish space lasers, why she showed up to a white supremacist conference and now why she's blindly following Kevin McCarthy and I'm not going to go there. The only person who can answer for Marjorie's words and actions is Marjorie. Let me be very clear. I support President Trump, period. President Trump is a friend and the leader of the Republican Party. Oh, I hate to break it to OnlyFans, Velma, because that may be how you do things in Colorado, but that's not how you do things in the rest of the country. When you have spent the majority of your time with the world's only expert on Jewish space lasers, you're going to have to accept being viewed by the general public as, at the very least, MTG adjacent, which means you're going to have to answer for your whacked out besties pension for white supremacy, anti-Semitism, you know, because let's be clear, Lauren, Saying that you support the January 6th insurrectionist favorite retiree isn't the distance from Mad Margarine's cray-cray that you might think it is. Remember, this is the guy who said back in 2017 that the white guys marching in tan khakis and white polo shirts, holding tiki torches and chanting, Jews will not replace us. He called those people very fine people. Oh, and while we're on the subject of Walker, Texas evader, check this out. After more than four hours of a closed door meeting, the House Ways and Means Committee voted to release six years of Donald Trump's tax returns to the public. These are the Donald Trump tax returns that Donald Trump fought for a very, 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 very long time to keep from the public. 
Overnight, the panel released a committee report about its probe and its initial review of the tax papers, revealing, among other things, the IRS did not do the mandatory presidential audits of Trump during his first two years in office and never completed any audits while he served. In four of the six years reviewed, Trump reported a negative income to the IRS. His income was in the green in 2018 after his first full year as president and again in 2019 before falling back into the red in 2020. In three of the six years reviewed, Trump paid $750 or less in federal income taxes. That includes 2020, where he paid zero. And now, boys and girls, it's time for a lesson from the art of tax evasion, Marilardo edition. According to the Ways, House, and Means Committee, their report said that unlike the majority of his supporters, Dolt 45 was able to get tax deductions on charitable donations without having to provide any documentation to the IRS. And while under the thumb of the former movie producer and Trump appointee, Steve Mnuchin, the IRS conducted their one and only audit of Tangerine Palpatine's tax returns during the first year of his reign. Manchin then said, ah, fuck this shit to the 45-year-old mandate that says any sitting president or vice president's tax returns should be subject to audit during the term in office. And instead of obeying decades of established precedent, the big Lebowski enjoyed three out of his four years in office audit-free. Not for nothing, but this also seems to go hand in hand with that catchphrase that the old drinks with two hands loves to repeat anytime a reporter mentions his taxes. Every year they audit me, audit me, audit me. I will absolutely give my return, but I'm being audited. You never give a tax return when you're being audited. But I can't release tax returns when there's an audit. Because it's under audit. I'll release them when the audit's completed. Under audit, when the audit's complete, I'll release them. When the audit's complete, I'll do it. Well, I'm not releasing the tax returns because, as you know, they're under audit. As I've told you, they're under audit. They have been for a long time. They're extremely complex. People wouldn't understand them. We're under audit, despite what uh, people said, and we're... uh, working that out. But uh, until such time as I'm not under audit, I would not be inclined to do that. I will be the first to admit it. That whole audit excuse sounded plausible at the time. But from where we're standing now, now that we know the money he loaned to his kids so he didn't have to pay any gift tax, the money for the petrol for his private jet and the more than 70000 a year he spent on a hairstylist? <laughs> no wonder the former Whopper in cheese wanted to keep his tax returns on the down low. And let me just take a moment to point out that although it is a miracle of hairspray that the blonde-colored trash panda that he had strapped to his head resisted gravity the way that it did, but... 70000 for those services kind of sounds more like money laundering than fair market value, which is why, folks, this coming out in the news was oh so satisfying. Big step in our ongoing national reckoning with what was a threat to American democracy after the 2020 election. And to that end, the House Committee on January 6th has recommended criminal charges 
against former President Donald Trump and several others close to him. The committee referring multiple crimes to the Justice Department that they say the former president committed while trying to stay in the White House, including assisting or aiding an insurrection, conspiracy to defraud the United States, obstruction of an official proceeding, and conspiracy to make false statements. It believes there is sufficient evidence for two others, conspiracy to injure or impede an officer and seditious conspiracy. Oh, and just in time for Christmas, the January 6th committee is referring Donald insurrectionist Trump to the criminal justice system. And I'll tell you, it couldn't have happened to a more deserving person. Ow. Who would have thunk it? It turns out that it is a crime when you invite tens of thousands of your most devoted cult members to an outdoor concert, give them a fifth grade level inspirational speech, and then give them vague instructions to march and storm the Capitol. Oh, and don't forget about sitting back and watching the whole thing unfold on television from the comfort of your dining room before you then get in front of a camera and say this to your shit-smearing cosplaying patronauts. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election, but we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace. Still to this day, if you ask old whack Donald about that speech or the speech he gave at the Ellipse on January 6th, he'll just repeat the framing his PR people came up with, that that speech was peaceful and patriotic. However, when it comes to the law, his coordination with the planners of the insurrection, his speech itself, his decision to sit back and watch the attack on television for hours not to mention he told his mob that they were special and he loved them very much on camera, giving gentle parenting talks to the most devoted cult members. That's called crimes. <laughs> but that's not all, folks, because this whodunit has an interesting backstory. Things that was not in that executive report, um, the executive summary, was kind of the breakdown of security. There was this informant, um, the FBI, that warned the FBI, excuse me, weeks before January 6th, uh, that the far right saw a Trump tweet as, quote, a call to arms. Because this was something that was directly said to the FBI, that on the very day that Donald Trump sent uh, that tweet uh, calling for people to come to the Capitol on January 6th for a wild protest, that the far right was taking that as a call to arms. Okay, so maybe it's funny, not funny, that the warnings about the violence that could potentially happen on January 6th 
didn't actually make it to where they needed to go because the game of telephone, the FBI was playing with Dolt 45's useful idiots in charge of alerting law enforcement that their presence was needed at the Capitol completely failed. But, you know, it's right on brand. It kind of fits in line with his whole armchair vibe that day, right? And speaking of intentional miscommunication, the January 6th committee found out that supporters single-handedly paid for Girth Vader to have, among other things, a team of dubious lawyers who were more than willing to tamper with congressional witnesses. Here is January 6th committee member Representative Zoe Lofgren to explain. Committee found that Mr. Trump raised hundreds of millions of dollars with false representations made to his online donors. The proceeds from his fundraising, we have learned, have been used in ways that we believe are concerning. In particular, the committee has learned that some of those funds were used to hire lawyers. We've also obtained evidence of efforts to provide or offer employment to witnesses. For example, one lawyer told a witness the witness could, in certain circumstances, tell the committee that she didn't recall facts when she actually did recall them. That lawyer also did not disclose who was paying for the lawyer's representation, despite questions from the client seeking that information. He told her, quote, we're not telling people where funding is coming from right now. We've learned that a client was offered potential employment that would make her, quote, financially very comfortable as the date of her testimony approached by uh, entities that were apparently linked to Donald Trump and his associates. These offers were withdrawn or didn't materialize as reports of the content of her testimony circulated. The witness believed this was an effort to affect her testimony. If you haven't already heard, but if you have heard, you're going to hear it again, because that representative is referring to former aide to Mark Meadows, Cassidy Hutchinson. The committee released Hutchinson's closed door testimony because Hutchinson had some pipe and hot tea on Stephen Positano, the top ethics lawyer under the reign of Orange Mussolini. Check this out. Hutchinson testified that as she prepared for her very first interview with investigators earlier this year, Pasatino told her, quote, the less you remember, the better. Keep your answers short, sweet and simple. And I don't want to purge. I don't want you to perjure yourself, but I don't recall isn't perjury. They don't know but what you can and cannot recall. Ew, no, sir. That is called witness tampering, and that is a crime punishable by a maximum of 20 years in federal prison. But then again, we are talking about a dude who clearly didn't think that his paychecks from Don the Con's organizations would be so easily traceable, let alone the fact that this was... Dingus Khan's poorly educated supporters who ultimately funded this entire scam. So there's that. And with the brazen way that Pasantino suggested, there was no way Congress could ever know what Hutchinson could or could not recall as a plausible justification for lying under oath. That makes me wonder about the other oath of office loyalists who pleaded the fifth all the way through their congressional testimony. 
the January 6th committee released the transcripts of these Fifth Amendment aficionados, and I recognize some names, so I thought I would share them with you. There's Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor to the former guy who played a very prominent role in agitating the crowd at Donnie's 2021 insurrection party. Nick Fuentes, the 24-year-old virgin leader of the incel movement and Ye's Nazi sympathizing bestie. Alex Jones, OG info warrior who was recently told by a judge that filing for bankruptcy would not get him out of paying the Sandy Hook parents $1.4 billion that he owes them. Stuart Rhodes, the founder of Oath Keepers and recent conviction for seditious conspiracy in his role in planning and implementing Donnie's 2021 insurrection party. Enrique Tario, leader of the Proud Boys, and well, that pretty much says all you need to know about Ernie. And there were so many others. Folks, it was absolute sus. It's obvious that having witnesses say nothing to Congress is the crowning jewel of King Baby Coward's legal strategy. Of course, they could have made it a little less obvious, but... And again, nobody but Dumpster Fire ever referred to himself as a genius. And for good reason. Well, that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday. You can follow the show on social media to keep up with the latest posts like Facebook and Instagram. This Week Again can be found, listened to, enjoyed on Spotify, Amazon Music, RSS.com, Google and Samsung Podcasts, and many, many more. So check us out. Ta-da for now.